This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. It's the last show of March. We have a little over a month to go before the Kentucky Derby, which is kind of the highlight of uh, the racing year and certainly the the highlight of the spring portion of the racing year. Um, This past weekend, we had a a couple derby preps, um, one that probably will have some importance into the actual running of the derby, the Florida Derby, which was which was won by known agenda. If you haven't uh, heard by now, you've been hiding under a rock or somewhere. Uh, if you had if you had read the Going in Circles Digest leading up to Saturday's race, you would have seen that uh, known agenda was our top selection, which makes it about five consecutive weeks. We've actually hit on this. I don't know why, but we're good at derby preps. Um, obviously, the big story there was greatest honor being upset as the odds-on choice. And uh, a lot of um, I told you so's from a lot of people that um, you know have found fault with him, though, despite his his pretty good record this year. And he just has a difficult racing style. At Gulfstream, he doesn't seem to want to come inside horses, and he doesn't have any early speed, which which kind of forces uh, the hand of the jockey, Jose Ortiz, who, who took a little bit of, of abuse. But, you know, watching the race over, I'm not exactly sure what they wanted him to do other than just sit last and go seven wide the whole race because that really seemed to be his only choice. And, and honestly, if the horse simply isn't willing to take dirt in his face or just won't run um, inside horses at all. Uh, It's going to be difficult for him to win races with big fields, especially the Kentucky Derby, of course, will almost assuredly have a 20 horse field. um, And you can't just be 15 wide the whole race. So um, it's kind of a, a, a chink in his armor. And I don't believe I'd, I'd be more apt to believe the thoroughbred uh, thoroughgraph numbers on him, which were um, fast and put him in um, good company um, over the buyer numbers, which didn't have him quite as fast. But of course, don't take into consideration ground loss or or pace or anything uh, anything like that. Uh, Soup and Sandwich finished second uh, in his third lifetime start. He, he ran well. He was up with the pace or on the pace pretty much the whole way. Um, and that gives Mark Cassie two really nice horses who I think have no chance to win the Derby because they just simply don't have enough experience. You know, be it, be that, uh, what's the what's the the, uh, the phrase, be it what it's may, whatever. Um, he's probably got enough points to make it in with 40. Uh, and uh, like I said, I, I don't think he has a, a serious chance to win a mile and a quarter race. He just doesn't have enough experience. I'm not sure what his racing style really wants to be. Um, and that 20-horse field is, is a great equalizer. And I do believe that the horses with uh, a little more experience are, are going to be able to handle it better, um, which is not like exactly um, you know, groundbreaking theories or anything. Um, the other derby prep held in the U.S. on Saturday was the Jeff Ruby Stakes. Uh, Wesley Ward won it with a horse named Like the King, who is barely, you know, like... uh, He hadn't really raised any eyebrows. He hadn't really done anything very, you know, interesting. And It's really a joke that that race is 100 points. I mean, seriously, Churchill, come on. Like... The same amount of people are going to pay attention to that crappy race, whether it's ten points or a hundred points. It just is not a. It's not a race, you know. Thank God for Animal Kingdom; otherwise, it would be a shutout. But it's it's just. Uh, I mean, the field was not representative, and 
Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I think Sainthood actually probably ran a little bit of a, a better race than than like the King did. Of course, you can win. Uh, you can get beat running a better race, but I mean, I, I just those horses just draw a line through them. No chance. And uh, the UAE Derby um, until. Uh, until a horse from over comes out of that race, runs a, a race. Um, uh, until they show something, I'm just going to continue to ignore the, the UAE Derby. And Rebels Romance won easy, looked look good doing it, but um, I, I just don't have any clue as to, you know. I just have a hard time accepting the UAE Derby and the Jeff Ruby Stakes winners getting more points than um, Concert Tour or uh, Life is Good. I know Life is Good is out, but but winning the San Felipe or the, or the, the Rebel in, in March is a, is a far bigger feat than winning these races like the Jeff Ruby Stakes and the UAE Derby. And, and, and the point system is just, um, it's just stupid. I, I don't know, uh, I can't think of another word for it, but... Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And I understand the, the, the logic of trying to get participation from overseas in the race. Uh, it's understandable. It'll be good for business. It's never bad to have international horses involved, but um, I, I just think that uh, it's kind of a, a, it kind of degrades races like the Florida Derby uh, and even the Louisiana Derby. If they are giving out the same amount of points as, uh, the Jeff Ruby stakes, but that's a story for another day. We have um, Pat Cummings going to come on at uh, three fifteen. We're going to talk some regulatory stuff with Pat. Pat always has a uh, a good uh, a good uh, insight in, into the latest happenings uh, on the regulatory front, and he might just want to brag about Baylor because he's a Baylor alum and Baylor looks really good. They're headed to the Final Four. And uh, probably, probably, I mean, of course, this is conjecture, but uh, probably will be in the finals facing Gonzaga, which uh, actually in this kind of screwed up year, we might get the two best teams in the final game, which uh, which is kind of, you know, what we all really want. We want to see the best teams, and I know a lot of people haven't paid all that much attention, including myself, but, um, but Pat's a... A Baylor guy, and I'm sure that uh, he's probably got some kind of neon green shirt or sweatshirt on. But um, we're going to have him in a little bit. Um, the sale, uh, the Fazek Tipton sale is uh, tomorrow. I won't be able to go. Not that, it, not that I have any, you know, any plans on buying any horses at that level, but uh, I'm going to do the HRN show tomorrow, the race day with Bobby Newman, filling in for Mr. Stabil. Um, so uh, that tomorrow, three to six on HRN, I'll, I'll be uh, be with my my friend Mr. Newman, covering some of the races. Gulfstream, of course, is not racing tomorrow because uh, they hold the sale actually in the paddock uh, of Gulfstream Park. They put a uh, a little auction. Uh, stand there and horses kind of circle around and parade in front and people sit around there and take bids. I'm not sure about the social distancing and all that nonsense, but I'm sure uh, people will be able to get bids in and, uh, you know, it starts at two o'clock, which is really hot. (laughs) I thought it was, uh, I'm sure the the reasoning is is sound, but it seemed like it was a better idea when it was a, uh, a night sale, but, um, and uh, you know, I would have got to go, but um, that's tomorrow. Uh, so you know, sales at the top, and this is a, certainly a top sale, uh, have been good. Unfortunately, uh, yesterday there was a, a kind of a tragic occurrence, and a horse that got loose. It was going to work on the turf. It was American Pharaoh Cult and uh, Bobby um, Robert Scanlon, and uh, um jumped over the rail, injured itself, wound up in the pond, and, you know, just a a terrible accident. I see a lot of people, you know, hand-wringing today. Um, as usual, I, I just am not exactly sure what you're supposed to do when horses get loose. There's horses get loose, and they're uh, 
They're big, they're strong, and they're fast. And when they're scared, they're dangerous. They're, they're a menace to everyone, including themselves. And it doesn't matter if you're at a racetrack, if you're at a farm, if you're at a show. It, it's, it's a tough thing. Uh, I was at Pompano last night with uh, uh, Degen Nation and the boys. And uh, we saw a horse get loose, a trotter get loose and actually went over the infield um there, there's a little fence that separates the infield and they have a pond there too and the horse went over that fence and uh, got you know kind of tangled up in his equipment but you know wound up being okay and walking it off didn't didn't get injured but um you know it, horses get loose it happens and uh I mean they're big strong animals and there's really not a lot you can do and and it and it it really sucks when when they hurt themselves badly like this one did and um i'm not going to cast any stones because it's just a tough situation and i don't know that anyone has a uh in in their emergency plan hey what do we do if a horse gets loose uh, hurts itself and winds up in the the infield lake like what what are the what are the protocols for that? So I guess we'll have to have one going forward. But um, like I said, it, it's it's a bad thing. It, it, I feel terrible for the horse. I feel terrible for the people connected to the horse. And uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes things just happen, and, and we don't always have to point fingers and, and, uh, and assign blame. Um, speaking of assigning blame, we had <laughs> a real problem um in dubai uh, of course um the uh the sprint race which had a 50 to 1 shot winner um trained by a trainer from florida carlos david who is a a relatively new trainer he's only been training for a few years um his horse uh won the race in uh almost unbelievable fashion um but the problem was that uh galloping out soon past the wire he uh broke down badly uh through pitched a jockey to the ground and the horse was put down um pretty much uh, immediately which of course has has um triggered a a range of emotions um and i i can't blame people i'll be honest i i can't blame people um it's probably unfair but that's one of the things this business has to to come to grips with is that public perception is not always fair and David worked for Jason Service, who was taken into federal custody about a year ago uh, with a number of charges. Everyone knows this. And that that's who he had worked for. So there's a direct connection to him, um, to guys that uh, are, are not thought of highly, to say the least. And David has been kind of looked at with a little bit of side eye in South Florida, as he's had quite a lot of success uh, moving horses up, and uh, which seemed to be the specialty of his of his former boss, who's got in a lot of trouble. Um, whether it's fair, whether it's not fair, I, I I I can't say that it is or it isn't. I can just say that I know that it's difficult these days to not look at someone and wonder uh, how they achieved their success. And when people uh, who achieve uh, a great deal of success right off the bat had worked for people that people are suspicious of or have had issues, it just kind of fosters a, a um, an air of, of distrust. And it's something that this business, this industry has never really gotten its hands on. And... Uh, you know, I've heard all kinds of things. They might not pay the purse. They might, you know, suspend him. They might do this. They might do that. I, I don't know. I, I, I personally, I can't say that um, I, I have any actual insight into this other than the conjecture that everyone else has. 
but I also know it's a problem. And, and um, one of the problems that we have is that despite the majority of people in the business that really want to clean it up, that want to have a fair sport, that want to uh, have things be on the up and up, whenever one of these guys pops up and they're winning 30, 35, 40%, owners flock to them. They get business. And that's the lifeblood of a trainer's business is, is owners and live horses. And the more live horses they get, the better they do. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy here in that you're suspicious of them. But the more good horses they get, well, the better they're going to do, which causes the suspicion to get greater. So, and again, the the, the big problem is that... Um, you know, this is the United States, and this, I guess it's not a problem, but people do have rights. And racing at a particular track is not a right. But, um, you know, the perception issues are something that, that just simply have to be dealt with, period. And ignoring them and, you know, pretending that uh, uh, everything is on the up and up when it may not be is a problem. And if it is on the up and up, then we should feel that there's been enough investigation, enough oversight um, to make us believe that it's on the up and up. And and I'm here to tell you that's not true. There just isn't. And when someone tells you the guy's fine, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. I don't have any, I don't have any faith in the system that we have in this country that someone could tell me that and and have it be 100% true. That's not true in other places. And speaking of someone who's been in some of those other places, Pat Cummings. Hey, Chuck. You got to be smiling today after the big win yesterday. It was big, yeah, that's right. Uh, back to our Baylor Bears conversation. Yeah, it was uh, That was big. Uh, you know, you could say first time since 1950 they got to the Final Four, but let's be realistic, first time ever. <laughs> Um, in terms of you know the final four being what it what it is and now and <laughs> uh, mo- mo- most of us were that 1950 was out of our range so we you know we don't remember that happening. Well, look, I mean, if it wasn't on TV with Jim Nance, it really happened. Um, so <laughs> was... uh, I think I think that does there is a, a, a an element of modernity that must be considered in that and. Uh, uh, so that was that was a big deal, and it was it was a weird game, but they are a fun team to watch. Um, I, I was a, a regular attendee at the Ferrell Center during my two year stint in Waco, and um, not uh, not the best overall facility to uh, to watch a basketball game, but uh, it was it was the the early phase of Scott Drew's real uh, reformation of what was going on there, and it's they've been really a, a fun team to follow in the years since. Yeah, hey, listen, when you're winning, every every arena seems awesome, you know? <laughs> no. We're supposed to have a new one, actually, but uh, I'm sure it'll, it'll eventually get there, but COVID kind of shut the plans down. Yeah, yeah, COVID has been... They'll get there. COVID's kind of been a pain in our ass here for a while. But <laughs> <laughs> a couple different reasons on that. Yeah, exactly. But, hey, they're in the Final Four, and, uh, I mean, the, the big match looms, you know, the... The, the the game that was postponed earlier in, in the year, which would have been number one, number two, with Gonzaga and, and Baylor, uh, and it's not your father's uh, you know NCAA tournament anymore. You know, not, it's not Duke versus uh, Kansas. Uh, I mean, we we've got to where Baylor and Gonzaga are probably the two clear best two teams in the country, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we get to see him play. And has been all year, and. This isn't exactly going in circles. It's more like going in uh, basketball court rectangles. But there is at least one kind of story that I think comes out of this, which is on the day that Baylor and Houston make it to the Final Four, the University of Texas's coach leaves to go to Marquette a couple weeks after leading his team to a Big 12 conference title. I mean, what is going on in Austin? You know, it was funny because um, someone had made a remark on Twitter the other day about Shaka Smart being overrated. And, and I said, listen, 
Texas is where great basketball coaches go to die, man. <laughs> Texas, the University of Texas hasn't been good at basketball, like good, 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 elite good, a Final Four good since, like, I think, 1947. I mean, you, when you look at the top players in the NBA who went to Texas, you, you start with Kevin Durant, you have LaMarcus Aldridge, and then it drops off, <laughs> you know, and this is you over know, the history of the, this is a gigantic university and, and, and they've been playing basketball since the very start of, of what the tournament was in, in the, you know, the early forties and, and they just have not been, been very good. And football's been a mess there for the last uh, decade. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's just almost, uh, it's a little unexplainable, but, um, Anyway, yeah, it, it's been fun, fun watching take, the Bears. Hey, and, uh, take your shots, Pat. Take your shots. Your team is up and they're down. <laughs> Kick them when they're down, man. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, it's been fun. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, getting to this stage for, for Baylor is such a huge accomplishment, uh, particularly after the frustrations of last season and uh, not getting the chance to prove it. And they stuck around, got better, and, and are they've gotten there so uh it's fun and uh it'll make for a fun weekend of basketball too yes sir um speaking of fun weekends last weekend was was kind of fun other than some you know tra- yeah. tragedies <laughs> but um yeah kind of uh the the derby trail is is kind of coming to an end here and that we really only have um uh the bluegrass and the santa anita derby the wood in the arkansas derby and you know the big four, and then the the Lexington, of course, which is only worth twenty points, um, you know, held uh, on the tenth as well. But uh, it seems like uh, it seems like outside of essential quality, things are as confusing <laughs> as they've ever been at this point for you know in, on the Derby Trail, at least since the point system has been in, uh, enacted. Yeah, you know, I, I have not been a uh, Kentucky Derby future wager fan uh, for for quite some time. Uh, particularly as, as fixed odds has, uh, has grown to prominence and, and racing continues to, to sort of be left at the station. But uh, I actually had a bet this weekend. Um, uh, I, bet, I bet risk-taking, who will, will probably be the Wood Memorial favorite, and if he wins or runs second and is in the starting gate, I don't see how he goes off at 30-1, to 1, but he'll be 30. He was 30-1. to 1. Um in, in the uh, in the, the the last pool that, that closed on Sunday, and I had a bet, and then I I, I was also noticing that it, I mean, he was shorter than thirty to one at basically all of the other places that you know in Vegas where they do still take fixed odds and and some of the offshore numbers. So I, I, it was a rare opportunity where I thought I was getting a better price for a horse I think has a very good chance of being in the starting gate, better than anything else I, I could get out there. So. Um, I did take that, and I thought it was definitely a better price than what the horse would be if he if he makes the Derby than than some of these other uh, horses that people were betting. I just can't fathom. Um, but yeah, essential quality has been has been so consistent, and um, you know, but he is going to catch a, a a weird race, I think, in the bluegrass, and maybe he just dominates it. Um, but there was, a, I saw some early, uh, social media conversations, so some social media pace handicapping, uh, 10 minutes after the draw thing, geez, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of speed here. Um, so it, it will be interesting. Um, and, and look, this is still, uh, the great race. Um, the question I, I would love to see is, uh, and, and to your, to your point leading into our discussion, if, if the, the non-Baylor basketball fans have stuck around, um, is you know who's looking out for the for the customers on the first Saturday in May? Who's who's looking out for the betters? Who looks out for them day in and day out? Um, with with some of the shenanigans that we see going on, and it is a real question. And, and you know, I am here to preview that that the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation will have a very significant series forthcoming that is going to tackle some of these issues, and I think. Some of what we will reveal, you know, you know, we'll tease it certainly in a preview, but but we'll we'll get into some more details. But you know, there doesn't seem to be anybody watching the cameras, you know, minding that the shop, if you will, when it comes to wagering security. Confidence is low and getting lower. 
and uh, you know it's it's kind of the opposite of what is happening in everywhere else in the world, where measures of, of integrity, oversight, and the wagering of, of racing are getting better and better, and more more technological and more integrated to the oversight of the sport. That that is not what we've had here, and that is that is concerning. Yeah, it, it really is, and I, I think the of course the the um, the easiest thing to see even though it might not necessarily be um, a, a, an issue of um, you know, integrity is, is the late odd changes. I mean, that's the one thing that people can really hang their hat on it when they're complaining about that is that um, you see a horse getting a favorable trip down the backside and his odds clicked from four to one down to five to two. <laughs> and, and you say to yourself, Hmm, you know, and, and it's hard. And I understand all the reasons that it have been explained as to, to why that is. And then with the late money circulating, you know, in the last 30 seconds and sometimes the race has gone off and the, it comes into the pool and, and it doesn't get posted for 30 seconds. So like, yeah, you're, you're already more than a quarter into the race, but it's just hard for some people to, to, you know, to, to understand that. And, you know, it's another thing. It didn't used to happen that way when money was bet mostly at the track. So we grew up with it, not, not seeing these crazy odds changes. And it's, it's more of a, you know, it, it's, it's like the whip rule is, really controversial um in a lot of ways because it's visible you're watching the race you're watching the rider and you're counting the, the you know the strikes and 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 it looks different and so that that is going to get more um scrutiny than than other things um like some of the the, the medication rules which aren't things that, that you're going to actually see so uh, you know it's uh, perception I, I was talking about that you know before you came on uh, you know, the perception of what happened in Dubai and yep. because of the trainer, because of who he was associated with and because there was already a little bit of smoke there. Um, uh, is it fair to that trainer? Probably not. It's probably not fair. Um, you know, we, we are still a country of, of innocent until proven guilty, except, <laughs> um, in this business, a lot of times it seems like the guilty get away with things. And even when they're caught, um, you know, or quote unquote caught doing something wrong, the penalties either don't seem to be uh, things that would be a deterrent. Or in some cases, when these uh, things get caught up in, in court and then they keep, you know, getting continuances and stays and injunctions and by the time the thing is litigated out, it's, it's so far, uh, you know, the actual race is so far in, in the rearview mirror that, you know, people kind of just kind of like, you know, shrug their shoulders. And it's like, well, you know, that's what happens in racing. That's why, that's why problem A, B and C all exist. Yeah. I, I, I tweeted about this, uh, after the golden Shaheen incident and, um, I, I just said, you know, because I have a, a lot of international followers, too, and from, from my days covering the racing in Dubai and, and you know, my time overseas. But, um, you know, I had quite a bit of engagements. I had over 6,000 engagements, people who clicked on what I had tweeted and, and were getting a closer inspection of it. But I said, you know, for those that don't know, here's what most U.S. horse players and race fans are thinking about now. And it was the fact that the last time the Golden Shaheen had been run, uh, the details of Jorge Navarro's uh, alleged doping are included in the indictments that were released a year ago, right? Um, that race, in particular, cited. Uh, it, it gets a section. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a subtitled section of the, of the indictment. And then, you know, how Jason Service was, was connected in the same indictment and how this year's race winner, who uh, suffered a, a, a tragic injury, um, was a former, you know, the trainer was a former assistant to Service, and, and we saw what happened. And is that unfair? Yes. 
it doesn't mean that's not what people are thinking and that it doesn't automatically frustrate and cause what I call, you know, confidence zapping uh, experiences to our fans and to our players. Um, and while it is an, it is a, an incident in uh, tragic isolation, right? Uh, it was, it, this was, this was bad. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that people will associate with it in their mind. And here is how those associations come to be and why they're had. Um, so for as unfair as it may seem to, to, to those who are currently involved with the horse, um, that's nice, right? That, that, but, but that is, that is a natural byproduct of, uh, the loss of confidence that horse players have had for, uh, two decades, really, um, maybe three, if you want to really stretch it, um, things are, uh, there are plenty of reasons to be troubled. And we as a general industry have not done enough to improve the confidence of the customers who are coming to participate. And at the end of the day, uh, building confidence is not the job of the, you know, building confidence in horse players is not the job of the trainer, the owner, the jockey. Um, but it should be a, a very uh, apt need that the racetrack recognizes that it has to have and that horsemen have to have. They need to, to, to give that off, even though they don't see it as their, as, as their responsibility. And that regulators, if Florida had any, that would be a different story. You know, and it is a different story, but the regulators know needs to happen. And the things that we have coming out in this paper outline over two decades how racing has somehow allowed the confidence of its players to decline precipitously, of its customers to decline dramatically, uh, while eschewing any uh, serious, albeit costly, measures of oversight, of wagering, and the associated things to it, doping control. Uh, and when you compare it to the rest of the world, Chuck, they're killing us. They're crushing it. They, they are doing so much better. Um, and it's not just Hong Kong, which is a, a common uh, discussion when I get involved, but it's, it's England, it's Australia. It's the major English language jurisdictions outside of North America. Ireland. Now, they're behind the times in a, in a couple ways, but they're working with those who are ahead and who are, who are keeping pace. They're working very well with Great Britain and the British Horse Racing Authority. Uh, and they've identified some of their faults, and they're, they're working to correct them. Um, but in this forthcoming publication, I mean, we have some pretty shocking revelations of things that are going on in American racing that American racing doesn't know anything about but are being identified through meticulous analysis of wagering on U.S. racing overseas. And I think that should be a real significant concern to the, uh, to the U.S. racing base at, the, at this moment. Pat, when, uh, when do you think that will be uh, available for publication? We're going to have a preview out in the next 10 days, which will essentially serve as like an executive summary. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to release this... Um, it's going to be a significant series. So there's going to be uh, one or two publications weekly for almost two months. Um, that, you know, the, the executive summary is going to be something that uh, I think everyone can kind of dive into and, uh, and get a feel for, for everything that's discussed. But then after that, we will dive in deep um, over, over several weeks for those that want uh, the real intricate detail, the history, uh, the financials, uh, the, the uh, millions and millions of dollars that were spent on on a central wagering oversight hub that never came to fruition, ever. Right. Um, and uh, you know the, the, what what the rest of the world is doing. I think it is really helpful. 
for people to see it. But but we, we have to be careful with this, Chuck, because we, we want to engage as many people as we can, but we know not everybody reads the fine print, right? They don't always read the details. People don't read anymore. <laughs> but um, so, so we're going to put out a, a summary. And then after that, the, the series itself runs more than 20,000 words. But we're going to drop a little, little bits and bobs of it uh, over a period of time to keep as many people engaged. And if you want the, the extreme detail of it, uh, people can certainly go into it and read. But there, there will be plenty more to discuss. You know, that that's one of the issues that, that exists, in, I guess, in society more than just horse racing. But people read headlines and they want to skim and they want to kind of get to the point. And uh, a lot of times they miss the uh, the subtleties of, of what is being said and the, the context because they want to reach a conclusion. Uh, horse racing is, is really not much different. People want to make a lot of things black and white when there's there always ultimately a, a lot of a lot of gray areas, and yeah. I, I think that's uh, you know one of the things that the business of racing in general we uh, we just haven't done a great job of communicating a lot of the um, the things that uh, that we put out. Uh, I mean, there's times when a drug positive, and I think this is an easy thing for me to explain, uh, is there? there's a drug positive for some really innocuous drug that a lot of times it's, it's a bad rule that the state has, or the, excuse me, the state has a bad rule or the, the lab is testing for, you know, ridiculously small numbers uh, of a drug that's just, you know, not performance enhancing in the least, and yet when that positive comes out and, and it's just a $100 fine or $500 fine or whatever, you know, the people on social media are like, see, this is what the problem is. This is the problem. You got these drug trainers and, uh, you know, look, slap on the wrist and blah, blah, blah. And you, you try to say, listen, this is the equivalent of like, you know, failure to signal. This is not, uh, you know, a vehicular, you know, homicide here or DUI. This is this is about as minor as you can. Is that actually the medication in question is, is a very beneficial uh, medication for a horse's health and it yeah. you know has no chance of really performance enhancing you know so it's it's a class whatever but it's got a big long name and people aren't educated enough because we haven't we haven't explained things well enough so that they know that this is really not a big deal it's it's, it's a very minor yeah. deal and and in most states you, and a lot of are... places they wouldn't even call it a positive yeah, you you are identifying uh, a a um, th- this actually does make it into our recommendation section uh, in the paper towards the end. So I, mm-hmm. I don't mind giving it up. But, right. Um, you know the, the the when you have as much testing, and this is something that the horsemen's groups that have sued um, on, on the establishment of HISA, and it's only a select group of those horsemen's groups that have done so, but. The, the ones that, that did, um, you know, I, I don't know if they, they recognize how meaningful it can be to have the U.S. anti-doping agency's prowess, communications history, um, acumen involved in testing. Because if you were to go through what they do and how they report on human athletes, testing, um both uh, negative test results and positive test results. There's a difference, but they report all of them. And then when there are positive tests, there are full explanations that go with it. Um, we, we do ourselves absolutely no favors as a sport when we communicate about, quote-unquote, bad things that happen in racing. And we have these opaque infrastructures um, and, and to use the term infrastructure is probably uh, it's probably the wrong word because what we need is infrastructure. What we have isn't it, right? It, it, it's the old uh, Justice Potter Stewart line uh, about obscenity. I know it when I see it. Well, we don't have it, right? And it's not obscenity. It's transparency. It's good communication skills. It's, it's infrastructure. We don't have it. We need to be forthright. Um, 
and we don't use it in this in this uh, forthcoming project, but you can find them very easily, uh, explanations of when there's an overage in Hong Kong. Uh, and there have been plenty of overages in Hong Kong uh, in recent years. I say plenty. There's been a handful of them. And they are explained meticulously how they happen, what they are. Most of them are um, almost all, you know, none of them are nefarious, uh, but they involve accidental um, contamination with a groom. And the substance was a human compound of some, you know, uh, Hong Kong equivalent of Ben Gay or something for some sore, you know, muscles on a uh, sore arms on a groom, uh, or uh, it was an accidental treatment by the veterinarian. Right? Um, you can find these examples through the Hong Kong Jockey Club website. You know. I, he meant to give it to this horse. He gave it to this one instead. That horse was entered to run today uh, or was entered to run the next day, and then they do the pre-race test because every horse is tested in Hong Kong prior to racing, and it comes up, and then they had to scratch the horse as a result, and they call it. Um, we, we don't do ourselves any favor with the 38-state approach to how we report on these things or don't report on them or hide them. Um, you know, hide, hiding from these things is, is just uh, is not helpful in any way, shape, or form. Um, put it out there and be transparent, be explanatory, be educational. Are there going to be some people who criticize you for saying too much? Yes. Are there going to be people who uh, say this was this was too much, or you know, I, I don't I don't understand it all, or it was too long, didn't read? Sure. But for the people who do read, they're going to learn. And, you know, I know the horse players will appreciate it. Um, a little bit of transparency would go a long way. Imagine how far a lot of transparency would go. Uh, I think it would be, it would be uh, industry changing. True. I, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. The problem I have with the USADA is they're a tiny organization. And mm. they follow... Yeah a very small select group of athletes and they're humans. And these athletes, the Olympic level athletes are on call 24 seven. They can call them at any time or text them or however they have a secure way of getting a hold of them. And within a certain amount of time, be there and have to, to give their whereabouts where they're going all at all times. And they test them, you know, and yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not sure that at racetracks, the, 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 the people, uh, I, I certainly know the regulars aren't, the regulators aren't, aren't, uh, aware of where horses are. Um, but it, it's such the, the scope is so large in size. You're talking about, uh, you know, three time zones worth of horses, thousands and tens of thousands and thousands of horses. And, you know, just think of how many races are run on a, on a Saturday in the summer. There might be 200 races, uh, yeah. run all over the country and if you figure eight horses in a race you're talking like 15 1600 horses that's on that's on a single day that's on one yeah. single day and some of the places are going to be a little more obscure and, and one of the questions that we have you you and i both have had about um how this hissa is going to be set up is are they going to have to put the same resources into um a, a small track in the Midwest somewhere versus Saratoga. Um, and I, I get it's a state-by-state -state basis, so it probably won't change all that much. But um, there's just so many things that have to be, you know, so many questions yeah. that need to be answered. And that's one of the things why I, I tell people, you should be critical of this law until the particulars have been laid out. Because if you just are willing to sit back and say, well, it's better than what we have. No, that might not be true. <laughs> you know, we need to have, and I've been a proponent for this for years, better rules. Because the rules that we have, the state-by-state -state system is screwed up. There's no doubt about it. But some states are less screwed up than other states. And, and that's the thing is like we need to get the good rules and we need to have sensible rules and we need to have... Uh, almost every time in the last 20, 25 years that we've talked about uh, modifying 
medication regulations. Okay, we just just stick to medication regulations. The first thing everyone always, always, always works on is the penalty phase. And that should always be the last thing. It should be, let's, how do we get these rules? What medications that are legal? I'm not talking about illegal. I'm not talking about illicit medications. Those medic- medications, they're, 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 you know, those are, uh, um, you know, zero tolerance, of course, for those kind of, you know, uh, class ones and things like that. Those aren't the problem. The problem is we wound up with all these legal medications. And horses are going to need them. Whether you guys think they don't, they can or they can't. They're not holistic animals that we can just ignore all their their problems. They're athletes, and and what we ask them to do is not exactly conducive to how they were designed by God. Putting them in stalls, yeah, and, and that uh, that does get get grossly missed, I think, by a lot of people uh, in the greater discussion of this topic. Um, but it's understandable as to why it, why it gets missed, and, and I'd say it's because the experts that exist in horse racing are horse people, right? The actual trainers and staff. And we have a whole lot of veterinarians and pharmacologists. And so I think the focus gets driven in that direction because of the people who are involved. And it's that you know we do have, and this this has been an argument that has been been pushed by those who are, are vehemently against the concept of the authority. You know, we are very regulated, and we have a lot of testing, and the majority of tests don't show any nefarious activity, uh, and and we have you know a very robust set of. Um, you know, in, in some states, fairly uniform medication uh, uh, allowances and, and what is or is not an overage, and you know, a, a lot of push has come towards uniformity. That's good. But when, when, when the only PhDs in the room, so to speak, uh, are, are focusing on that topic, we don't... We, we, we need to be staying up on um, policing the sport in other areas, too, right? We need, we need oversight in the steward stand with our jockeys, how they're riding the races. We need to be looking out for horse players' best interests, too. And, and while a horse player may or may not be interested in a picogram uh, over or under for some class 4 substance that may or may not have any effect whatsoever on the horse, they are pretty affected when, when they see a, a top jockey out there who may not be giving um, a full effort. And what do you think is more confidence zapping? Seeing the the horse that was seven to two and drifted out to six to one who does not get a um, an ounce of effort seemingly from their jockey or a picogram. And I know where all our focus has been as as a country. For a long time, it's been on picograms. Um, so integrity and safety, I, I know I've said this, I think, to you before, Chuck, on this program. Uh, integrity alone does not come from just a, uh, you know, what what is or is not found at the end of a, of a blood or urine test or, a, or at the end of a needle. Um, there are other areas, too, that need to be looked after. And frankly, we've done a terrible job creating an infrastructure around those topics that just aren't always top of mind uh, or even bottom of mind with veterinarians and, and the equine pharmacological experts and the labs and all those, all those very well-credentialed experts that, that may not know a thing about what a jockey does or doesn't do or and trying to get an effort out of a horse or maximizing an effort or being, being concerned with how, uh, betters are looking at a race, let alone 23 to 1 into 8 to 1 wire to wire in the last click. Yeah, Those are problems too. I was brought up in, in harness racing to start with, so that's a much bigger problem over there. Um, I was at Yonkers and uh, I was assistant racing secretary and this was like God, a long time ago, but... Um, there was a race where the horse paid more to win than the exacta paid. 
and uh, Mr. Rooney, you know, the Rooney family, they owned the West West Palm Dog Track and, of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Mr. Rooney got on the phone and he just was like, the, 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 the first two drivers, that's it, kick them out, you know? So we'd have to, quote-unquote, suspend them. They wouldn't be allowed on the grounds for a while. And it wasn't a state investigation or anything. It was just they were asked to leave and... And, and not, you know, we wouldn't let people name them on horses because there was uh, issues with, uh, you know, things like that that get a little, you know, the horse pays $10, the exacto pays 8 <laughs> um, yeah. which, which, of course, is, you know, blinking light obvious. But, no, there's there's never been a comprehensive plan. And, and I think that's where HISA fails in a lot of ways, too, is it's really not a comprehensive plan. It, it doesn't no. take into consideration a lot of the other issues that are still going to be frustratingly, you know, uh, inconsistent, like stewards calls. Like the other day in New York, there was a call and it just made, seemed to make no sense as the horse on the outside kind of bumped into the back end of the horse on the inside, which caused the horse on the inside to kind of, um, you know, twist. And it was, it, it looked like incidental contact between two horses that about, uh, it was about a 50, 50, um, you know, blame and they took the horse down and and that, that comes a week after uh the fairgrounds uh, on the louisiana derby card uh the second race where irad ortiz just you know barely brushed the horse and and they took the horse down and uh, yeah. I, i've told stewards before i said do you know you guys all want you know everybody just brings their hands about drug positives but if a horse comes up positive today nobody's going to know about it in, in some cases for six months between yeah. uh you know getting the test back the 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 uh the split samples and blah 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 and then having a hearing I said nobody even knows about that that race is is like like I said earlier so far in the in the rearview mirror that people are like you know they they don't have the the outrage uh, what what you know what the drug positives do is is chip away at the 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 armor of the sport and that you constantly see him and you see him and you see him and you see him and, and it's like man it seems like everybody's doing drugs and but I said, a steward's a bad disqualification. You're taking money out of a guy's pocket right now. He's holding a ticket, and you're taking it out yeah. of his pocket because you're making a, 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 a decision that doesn't seem to be consistent with uh, not only what's what's a, you know held a, as a national standard, but a, a lot of times inconsistent with their own rulings. And my question the other day was... If this is going to be, and this is the New York disqualification, if this is going to be the standard, if you're going to say this is disqualification worthy, then we're going to have four or five disqualifications a race because that kind of bumping happens on the turn. It happens coming out of the gate. It happens maneuvering um, going into the turn, maneuvering coming out of the turn, uh, on the turf especially. So, you know, every every decision made is not made in, in a fishbowl. It, it it's all, uh, I mean, they're all interconnected. And when you when you, you make a call like that, you affect the next call and the next call and the next call. And and you know this idea that they're you know sending a message to the jockey. You want to send a message to a jockey? Text them. Hey, guess what? You're suspended for five days. That's a message. Yeah. Do not penalize everyone else because not only are you penalizing the betters, you're penalizing the groom, you're penalizing the, the 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 trainer, you're penalizing the owner, you're penalizing all the people that depend on revenue from races to get paid, and it, it just is it's it's a problem. Because- you would like to think that the most punitive action that the sport has, which is the immediate transfer of um of a, you know, basically changing the outcome of a race after it has already happened but before any dividends or, or prize money are, are returned to betters or connections by altering that result um in the immediate aftermath of the race it is the most punitive thing that happens it's also the most frequent thing that happens right it is the, the frequency of those instances is far greater than um, overages or, uh, or or the frequency of suspensions uh, in this country. Um, that seems uh, misplaced 
and it's something we have discussed regularly. But I, I have no, um, I'm not going to say I have no hope, because uh, I, I do have hope, and, and I've seen where there are glimpses of, of positivity in this. Ontario, as a jurisdiction most notably, uh, and hope that they'll be able to take this up once they get back to racing, you know, and have some discussion in 2021 because 2020 was just a complete disaster for that. Um, to no one's surprise, but you know, you, if we're boiling everything down, we just have to take this sport far more seriously. We haven't done that. We just have not done that. And that hurts the feelings. I think sometimes of a lot of people who are in the sport, but it is a reality. We have just not done the hard work that is needed to lift the standards of our sport to a proper 2021 framework. We're running a sport in the 2020s that has a um, it has a funding structure that is almost three decades old, right? Um, and it has a uh, a rules structure. Uh, that is probably five decades old, uh, if not if not older in some places. Um, I don't know how that you know that doesn't work well with customers who can get other things, other sports uh, in particular, where rules evolve, rules change. If you were betting the Final Four in 1991 in Vegas or 2001 in Vegas, the rules of the sport have evolved as technology has improved and as it just needed to improve, right? Um, that doesn't happen much in racing. We do, we do cover this briefly in the, in the paper and um, the series that we have forthcoming, and it is that there have been a lot of benefits that have trickled to owners through increased prize money thanks to purse supplements, right, from, from slot machines and, and other, other related supplements, uh, depending on the state where you are. Not all, of course, have gotten it, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're saying anything crazy by, by acknowledging that, that that is, in fact, a reality. Almost none of those benefits have been felt by the oversight infrastructure of the sport. How old is your photo finish equipment? How about the, the, the video coverage that goes to the stewards? How about the training of the stewards? How about the remuneration of the stewards to make sure that they're not getting by on a small sum, a small daily fee for five or six months of the year to cover a small meet in the middle of, of America where, you know, maybe 45% of the betting is, is taking place by customers who don't really care about the outcome in these, these offshore uh, entities like elite turf club. Um, we, we don't think about the fact that we have defunded our sports integrity infrastructure for a very long time. And now we, we kind of don't have people who remember what it was like before when stewards were incredibly respected uh, and, and kind of held court, literally. Um, but that, that time's long gone, Chuck. Um, you know, go back to the beginning of the Internet era. Compare, you know, the, the, the persona or the, 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 the respect people had for the stewards in 1998 with where we are today. It feels different. No, no doubt, no doubt about it. I mean, on the backside, the stewards used to be the, uh, you know, they, they were the the sheriffs. I mean, you, you just didn't mess with them if you wound up in front of the and stewards. And the TRPB was an actual presence. Oh, of course, the TRPB was, and then that was defunded because the tracks didn't want to pay for it. Um, yep, we uh, we outline a lot of that. In fact, we we uh, we talked to Paul Baruby who was the uh, former head of the TRPB, and we found some very interesting comments of his after the Breeders' Cup 6-6 scandal, and we have updated them, mm-hmm. um, which, which will be an interesting uh, review of where what, what he was thinking then 
uh, how he kind of clarifies what he thought then and, and what he thinks now. Um, which We've talked to a lot of people who had things to say in the aftermath of that, the years following, and we go back and found them. Some of these people, I, I frankly had never heard of, John, um, who, who presented at different uh, racing conferences years and years ago, some of whom have been out of the business for more than a decade, tracked them down. Uh, you know, I'm talking to an attorney in Bismarck, North Dakota. Mm. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Uh, it's interesting. We've, we've got a lot of good stuff coming, and, and uh, the people who really want to get get their hands dirty with it are going to be able to do so. But hopefully, the the summary that's forthcoming will give everyone a feel for what's going on. Well, you know, when you put it that way, you think about how tracks have not seemingly, and and and, and commissions as well, have seemingly not done a very good job of policing a backside, and the technological. Uh, knowledge and ability to police a backside would seem to be far less um, important and invasive as you would in protecting a pool. Every month we see situations where some uh, government uh, property or some huge business has been hacked. And uh, we, we see it occasionally when uh, our, our internet service slows down for a, a while because of of people uh, hacking into systems and and, and uh, you know dis- causing disruptions and uh, I mean people you hear horror stories about uh, you know the people that'll hack into uh, a business's uh, computer system software system and, and hold ransomware you know hold hold them ransom and and want them to pay in order for them to release the all of their information, which, of course, nowadays everything is, is on computers. And you say to yourself, well, why would racing be immune to that? Why, you know, is racing spending the necessary amount of money to protect or to protect to its best ability um, the pools, considering you have money flowing into these pools from, uh, you know, so many various sources these days. It's not like it's just coming from one or two or three places it's coming from a lot of places if if we are doing that uh we've done a terrible job of communicating what we're doing so you would have if we are doing that now you would have to believe that there has been a monumental failure to communicate what we are doing to protect our customers in the absence of that failure i have to think that we're not doing anywhere near enough right um that, that, that we haven't just missed it. Uh, and, and look, there is a, a line that, that comes out of this paper that I just think is it's fantastic that, you know, uh, basically says that, that automated bingo devices in church basements have more regulation than the tote systems that, that serve as an $11 billion unregulated bank. Um, I think that's pretty powerful when you think of it that way. Absolutely. Um, when There is more independent monitoring that is going on in the bingo business uh, that is <laughs> populating uh, church basements nationwide than, than what you see in, uh, in, in an actual regulated wagering event. And we, we delve into some of the topics where you know, a fellow in 2008 at the Arizona Symposium says, uh, I came to this conference to figure out how it was that horse racing had managed to escape all of the other oversight that, that takes place in the gambling business. And uh, because he was working in that, in that sector and still does. And he, he updated our, our comments when we tracked him down this year and, and said, uh, the only difference between where we were in 2008, where horse racing was in 2008, and where it is now, is that the gap between really proper independent oversight of wagering in other things has gotten far better, and racing is still where it was 13 years ago. That's not good. 
No, one thing about horse racing that's been consistent since I've been involved, which was you know, seemingly since the days of Man of War, is that unless we are forced to do something, it doesn't happen, especially when it's going Correct. to, number one, cost money, and number two, doesn't appear to be a, a business move that's going to generate more money, uh, even though we could all easily step back and say, well, you know, if you don't do it and something does happen, then it's going to cost you a lot of money. But a lot of the way racetracks have, have operated as they become more, um, and this isn't like to say racetracks weren't businesses back in the seventies. Of course they were, they were businesses, but it was a simple business. It was a very, very simple business. Most racetracks had defined meets. They had, uh, seasons. they, 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 their backside was open for a, a, a particular length of time. Their, their racing season was a particular length of time. All, almost all of the money was coming in through on-track handle. Um, there wasn't so many complications. And now racetracks, of course, are, are far more, almost all racetracks are far more than just racetracks. They're used for, uh, the land is used for different uh, activities uh, just you know, discounting the wagering side, where you know, like you said, you got money coming in from you know a million different places. Um, but you know, tracks do a lot more um, than they used to do, and they're they're a lot bigger, more complicated businesses. And the bottom line matters more. There's more money at stake. It's it's a it's a more complex issue, and. You know, you just wonder about the bottom line. And uh, as horsemen, we've seen a lot of times the bottom line uh, has caused changes to to traditional things that um, we had always taken for granted, like training seven days a week, uh, off season training, cutting cutting back on on things like that, cutting back on simple things like um, supplying the bathrooms with uh, paper towels. You know, and it's it's not a of course that that's not an issue that's pressing, but it just goes it's it's the point is that it goes to show that the bottom line means everything uh, in a, in a lot of ways. And I mean, listen, the racetracks are also facing a lot of other competition. Even the ones with casinos are facing more and more competition from other casinos. And now, you know, you add sports betting to the equation and. It, it, it's a it's a it's a fierce market for the gambling dollar that didn't exist. So, you know, are they going to be willing to spend the extra money to to make sure that something that doesn't appear to be an issue because no one's complaining about it? Are they going to do it? And and that 